You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Let's do it. Welcome, Chiefs Kingdom, to another Victory Monday edition of the Out of Structure Podcast and the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Stagner, as always, joined by my buddy, RKJ. Ron, how you feeling today on a Monday after a win? Better than the alternative, right? Uh, it's better than I was feeling halftime of this game and uh, in, in the game that the Chiefs beat Washington uh, by a score of 31-13. Uh, yeah, I, I think we we kind of all saw the the sky falling a little bit at halftime, uh, down thirteen to ten to a team that you shouldn't be ever trailing if you're a Super Bowl contender. But uh, they bounced back in the second half, so you know it feels good. It feels good to be back on a victory Monday. It was pretty bleak when you had a couple of turnovers again, and then you come out in the second half and get a three and out, and then then they muff the punt or not muff the punt. The punt goes off of Townsend's. The side of Townsend's foot, one of the worst punts we've seen from him <laughs> in his career. And you just had to feel at that moment like they might actually lose this thing. From that point forward, though, they turned it on. The offense is a machine. The defense had arguably arguably their best half of football uh, in a while. Um, and, and the numbers really bear that out. So let's get to a couple of quick takeaways. We got a lot of great questions from you on Twitter this week. Here are a few of our takeaways that were not in your questions, and then we'll get right to your your questions and narratives. Uh, one of my big takeaways was I liked how aggressive the Chiefs were in this game. They went for it on fourth down and converted. They um, they really kind of kept their foot on the gas. I felt like through that second half, when once they started things started going right for them, they didn't let up all the way through and including the last uh, offensive play of the game for the Chiefs when they really, they uh, not only were content with running the clock out, but Mahomes went for it through a, through a drop in the bucket uh, again for another long touchdown. I thought the way they closed out this game, just like the Philadelphia game, they, they had decided, like they said at halftime, maybe they'd had enough and uh, they weren't going to let uh, Washington have any prayer of coming back in this one. So I like the aggression from the team when they got things going uh, this week. Yeah, I think the the finishing the game can be even turned into like microcosms in terms of like how they finish the drives and how they finish sets of downs. Because another big thing about this game was how they finished on third downs. Now they are, after a great performance on third down against Washington, they are number one in the league uh, still with a 60% third down conversion percentage this year. The next best team is below 50%, 49.4, the Buccaneers. So that just shows you how crazy they've been on third down. In this game specifically, they get eight straight third downs, and that eighth, the eighth one was the uh, Demarcus Robinson touchdown at the end, kind of like you were saying, that haymaker to finish, finish the game. So I think the way they were finishing not just the drive, not just the game, but the sets of downs. You know, hey, first and second down wasn't going well enough, apparently, because they kept putting themselves in third downs. 
but they kept getting those conversions. It was really cool to see them, uh, you know, kind of just continue to be great on those third downs because it's hard to, you know, replicate that. I think it's hard to continue to do that moving forward to be that good on third down, but also indicative of how good this offense can be and how they, you know, can have confidence in themselves in no matter the situation because third down the pressure situation. And it's going to, it's really hard to convert eight straight of those because the defense is bringing their best stuff on third down. And, and the defensive coordinator is not going to be just calling a, a, a base defense. They're going to be trying to get in your face or just confuse you with coverage on third downs. And the Chiefs executed, you know, on, on third downs eight straight times. That's, that's insane to me to get eight straight conversions on third down. They really got back to that offensive efficiency that we saw in, in previous games. In fact, for most of this season outside that stretch uh, versus Buffalo, this offense is a well-oiled machine. And converting on those third downs being just automatic, it was a little bit of everything. Some of it was Mahomes running the ball. Uh, some of it was, you know, third and short, fourth and short, Daryl Williams uh, getting those carries and, and getting those tough yards. So, I, I, yeah, I, th- I think that was a good takeaway. Um, the other good takeaway is on the defensive side. This team held the Washington offense, which is not a bad unit. Yes, they were hurting. Uh, they had some injuries coming into this game. But this is not a bad offensive team. And they held them to 94 yards rushing. 182 yards passing, so under 200 yards passing, under 100 yards receiving, or I'm sorry, rushing. And this is the first time they've done that since uh, they did it twice last year against the Jets and Buffalo. So uh, a good, solid overall defensive performance. Yes, it's an inferior team and they should do it, but I think it's something they can build on on the defensive side. Yeah, we'll get into the specific parts of the defense that that excelled and and helped them get to that point. But yeah, I just think it was just encouraging as a, as a positive sign that the defense bounced back in the second half and didn't allow any points. And I will say Washington, that was their lowest point total of the year. It was almost their low, lowest yardage total of the year as well. They actually got a few less yards against the Chargers in week one. But that just kind of shows you that this, like you mentioned, this Washington team, the offense has playmakers, man. You know, Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson are playmakers. And, and so is J.D. McKissick, in my opinion. I think he's a, a really good receiving back. And Heineke just needs to distribute it to them. And he's done it well all year. But this Chiefs defense didn't allow him to as well this uh, this time around. So we'll get into the specific defensive players that had good games. But I just say overall as a unit, you know, pat pat yourself on the back, guys, because I, I really think it was a, a solid, you know, it was a momentum builder, I'd say, a confidence builder in the defense uh, going against even when they play tougher offenses, it'll help them moving forward to, to have a good game. this. Yeah, really, if you took out those, those two, pl- the two plays, the long third down screen and then that touchdown to – Chiefs legend Ricky Seals Jones. <laughs> they really, uh, other than that, they really contained this offense uh, all day long. And and I think the changes that the the defense made on the personnel wise uh, really paid off for them th- this week. I also was impressed by the secondary receiving targets for the Chiefs. We've complained about them all off season, all season, and it's been real hit and miss so far this season. I'd say this week was a hit. When you had McCole Hardman with four catches for 62 yards, Byron Pringle three for 55, Demarcus three for 46 and a touchdown, those guys really had a pretty decent game. And and obviously Jody Fordson had that one spectacular play of his own before his injury. But it was really nice to see those receivers get in the game and, and make plays and get open. Uh, some of it was pretty solid route running by those guys too. So that was good to see. And I thought – I thought Hardman in particular had a really good game outside of the fumble 
that he had, of course, and the fair catch uh, at the five-yard line. He had two 30-yard punt returns um, and, you know, again, really made some plays in the uh, with that long 49-yard catch, but also uh, some sh- shorter plays to help move the sticks. Yeah. That that Hardman catch on the forty nine yard down the sideline. It was about it was third down too, so it was an important play. Beats the corner, you know, uh, gets late separation. The throw is on the money. The throw is perfect, but I was really impressed with Hardman's ability to fight with the hands of the corner, get his hands in a good position, and and finish the catch and, and finish, you know, going after the catch too. He almost had a touchdown. The guy, the safety, just barely got over in time to push him out enough. But great play. And then you also got to shout out uh, D Rob. You mentioned the route running. Man, that, that was a great route at the end to, to seal the game. Faked inside and then beat William Jackson back to the outside. Had like five yards of separation on him. Was wide open. Awesome play by the by those two guys. And then Pringle had a few uh, clutch catches as well. So you're right. And, and this is a very bad Washington secondary. Their defense has been horrific. They, they are talented in, in terms of uh, their defensive line, but their defensive backs have been awful this year. So you, you should expect this kind of performance out of the Chiefs wide receivers, I would say. You know, the, the only one that we didn't see much of was Josh Gordon, and we got a ton of your questions about him, so we'll get to him later. Back to the Chiefs' defense, though. Uh, Ryan, you were wondering uh, out loud, maybe, is this a is this a good pass rush game? Is this there, Were there some encouraging signs from the Chiefs' pass rush this week? Yeah, you know, Washington's offensive line has been good this year, and they've allowed, I want to say it was either the third or the second fewest percentage of, of dropbacks turned into sacks this year which Mahomes and the Chiefs have a high uh, number in that as well, but kind of just shows you that their pass protection has been pretty good generally. And I think the pass rush, it was, it was better than we've seen. I think it, 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 shown, it showed signs of life that we haven't really seen in a few weeks, but still no sacks. You still had a lot of blitzes that were really the reason they got pressure. I, I don't think you saw a lot of four-man pressure that actually got home. I, I want to say Jaron Reed got a pressure one time that, that – forced a, a bad pass on third down so that was encouraging but it still wasn't the greatest game and hey they're still without Chris Jones which is a big deal obviously that's your best player by far but it, it still wasn't as productive of a game as you'd like to see from the pass rush but hey at the same time you know it, it was it was better than it has been in recent weeks so that that's a sign that's a good sign moving forward yeah we saw a little bit of life out of Jaron Reed he had a couple of quarterback hits and some and some pressure uh also Frank Clark had two quarterback hits and I, I half joking in my winners and losers article on arrowheadpride.com mentioned Frank Clark's two quarterback hits probably came on the same play uh, <laughs> when he had uh, he had him dead to rights uh, twice uh, in that play Tyron uh, uh. Matthew also had a shot at him and and none of them actually recorded a sack there so they're getting close they're getting a little bit better I, I think there's some some signs of life there and, and we'll see again if they can build on that when Chris Jones is back. I also thought uh, Rashad Fenton played really well once again. Yes, we need to shout out Rashad Fenton. He's becoming one of my favorite players on the defense just because I, I kind of cape for him a little bit in the season. I kind of wish I would have jumped on that bandwagon a little harder so I'd look a little smarter right now. But uh, I was just always saying, like, didn't we, haven't we seen really good play from Fenton in spots? I always came back to the Patriots game last year where he had to play outside cornerback because of injuries. And he had like a 90 PFF grade. He had like four pass breakups or something, something crazy. He was a really good player that game. I always kind of thought, man, if we if if we just gave Fenton a little bit more of a chance, maybe he could be a, kind of a starting caliber player. And in my opinion, he's proven that they can put him out on the outside, uh, you know, opposite Snead or Ward, whichever one, 
and 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 let him play, man. He's been playing really well. He's aggressive, but not, you know, it seems like he does have good clean coverage. That pass breakup in the end zone on McLaurin. Some people were like, eh, he kind of got away with something. I think it was just great coverage, and I'm glad the ref reflected that because you can be aggressive. You just can't be overly aggressive, and I think he has that nice balance. And so I'm really liking Fenton right now. I think if he continues to play like this, the cornerback spot could all, could all of a sudden be shored up really quick when you know we kind of saw some problems with Baker and Hughes in. With, if they have that Ward-Sneed-Fenton uh, trio playing well, man, that's a really good sign for this team moving forward. That makes me wonder also, I, I agree with you. I liked what I saw from Fenton. I, again, the physicality, this ability to play outside and, and really be really man, man somebody up. You know, you didn't see a lot of the, the passing off and the, uh, uh, the confusion uh, out of him. He seemed to have, to have his man and, and have him locked down for the most part. So when Ward comes back, you know, is there a possibility that they go with, you know, either Ward and Fenton on the outside uh, and then and then bring Snead let Snead play on the inside more, or you know, kind of switch up those packages a little because Snead was really effective last year, and he's been he was better this week, but he's been a little bit less of a playmaker so far this year. So maybe if they if you've got reliable outside uh, cover corners that you can you can mix it up a little bit more with Snead like they did last year. Yeah, you saw the Chiefs defense. They've been they've been starting to kind of maybe think about how they can shore up the cornerback position with the guys they have. Because against Philly, I really noticed it. They actually moved Matthew into the slot and kept Snead on the outside when they had those uh, three cornerback situations because they didn't want to lose. You know, I, I think they were starting to distrust maybe Hughes and Baker a little bit on the outside. Fenton coming back in and, and playing really well and, and being able to be a guy that trusts on the outside really opens things up, allows Snead to play in the slot close to the line of scrimmage where he has excelled. You're right. He has been really good in the slot. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the cornerback group for sure. I think Fenton is, is starting to really play well. You bet that might be more of a subtle change that rather than, you know, the big change that everybody was talking about with Sorensen and Thornhill swapping spots, moving those corners around and finding the best fit for each of them. You've noticed they've really decreased the snaps for DeAndre Baker uh, and, and maybe, at, you know, if Fenton's taking those snaps and doing a better job with them, then that's a that's a nice little uh, little little adjustment that those uh, defensive coaches have made. So I did the winners losers list. I think I mentioned it already once before, and there's I forgot one honorable mention for the losers list this week uh, was probably the least busy man in all of the NFL. And Tommy Townsend uh, doesn't punt very much, but th- this week he punted twice, and had, and one of them was was one of his worst. So. Uh, that was frustrating to see, you know, in, in a field position battle. Luckily, I don't think it came back to, to hurt him uh, too much, but you'd like to see a little more consistency out of uh, Tommy Townsend when he, when he actually gets a chance to punt. Yeah. The shank punt is always like a bad omen, right? Like, oh boy, like this is not going to go well, especially when it happened. It happened right after three and out. It took again the first half. Yeah, that was not good, but uh, good thing for Tommy. The team made up for it, made him uh, not the not the scapegoat this time. Well, let's jump into some other narratives, and, and we'll play a little game this week of are you buying it? And the, the thing that I want to t- sort of address some of these big narratives that have been built over this first six games of the Chiefs season, some of them so early in the season, I think when we look back later in the year, we're going to sort of laugh and say that was just a small sample size and that, didn't, that wasn't a, a thing. Uh, so, Ron, I'm going to sort of test you here and tell me, are you buying that the offensive tackles have been an issue for this team so far this year? I will sell that narrative. Um, 
in the I'm in the middle though because when you say have they been an issue this year? Look, there have been some bad reps. I think Lucas Niang, I think we all can admit, has been probably the least uh, impressive player on the offensive line this year. Um, and, and maybe it's just because of how good all the rest of the four of them have been. I don't think Brown has been particularly great against pass protection either. But I, I, I don't I don't think they've been an issue to where they're they're affecting the game and, and making the Chiefs lose games. I mean, this isn't Cam Irving at left tackle in t- 2018. I mean, this is they're playing well enough, especially against the run or, you know, run blocking. They're, they're playing well in that respect. And Mahomes, a lot of the time, isn't helping him maybe with his pocket presence. You know, he, he's got to help his young tackles out a little bit. So I will sell that. I don't think it's been a huge issue. And and I, I think Steve Remmers at right tackle uh, for Niang, um, I have my own theories on this, and we can get into that right now. I think, so Niang goes on the injury report, right? Uh, has a hamstring issue. And then we see Remmers start. But the thing, the thing I found weird was that they still had Niang dress, and he actually played a snap. He actually played when they went six linemen on a goal line one play. What that tells me, and, and this is my own theory, but what that tells me is that I think they kind of wanted to maybe see. I thought they, they may have seen it as an opportunity to say, hey, let's see if Remmers is a better option right now at right tackle than Niang. Niang has struggled a little bit in pass protection, like I already mentioned. And maybe and Remmers was a good right tackle last year, man. I he really was. I he was a good right tackle last year. The Super Bowl at left tackle really clouded how good of a year he had at right tackle. And so I think they kind of just wanted to see and, and they thought this was a good opportunity. It reminded me of when they subbed in Dane Kilgore for Austin Ryder last year in the middle of the season. I think it was just them kind of testing out while they have a point in the season to see it. Like, hey, do we need to make a switch right now and, and for the rest of the season? I think it was just one of those things. What did you think about the right tackle position or just the offensive tackles in general? Yeah, no, I think they've been fine this year, really. I mean, they're they're not necessarily playing at an All Pro level, Niang and uh, or Brown, but I think they've been they've certainly been passable, and I think they've been getting better. I think Lucas Niang has a good future ahead of him. So my hope is that this week's change was more about Niang's injury um, and and less about you know some concern over his play. Uh, I didn't notice a, a dramatic difference between Niang and, and Remmers, uh, you know, in the way that they played this week. I thought there was a couple of plays in the run where Remmers was really good, and there was a couple of plays against the pass where he, you know, wasn't uh, as impressive. So, you know, I think I think those two players, the coaching staff, probably see them as interchangeable. And so you're right if if the two players are relatively interchangeable, one of them's banged up a little bit, throw the other guy in there and see what happens. Um, there was an interesting theory floated by our friend uh, Citadel Chief on Twitter that I wanted to talk about was I, I think he threw out the idea of what if they're starting Remmers to give uh, to give him some snaps on film and, and see if they can uh, actually trade him to another team that might be needy of offensive linemen. And that theory might be given a little bit more credence when, when you think about the fact that this week is when Kyle Long is eligible to come off the PUP list all of a sudden, the Chiefs have an absolute glut of offensive linemen. They did already. They had they were carrying 11 with Prince Teguanogo in this game, uh, even though he was inactive, which I thought was interesting to activate him from the practice squad and then put him on the inactive list. But do you really think they're going to carry 12 offensive linemen going forward when, uh, when Kyle Long is reactivated? Or are they going to try to move somebody? And, and if that's the case – uh, Remmer seems like he would be one of the logical candidates who might get moved. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense, actually. And I, and, and when you presented this theory to me, I was like, wait a second. I, I'm, I'm, I see the logic in that. Because imagine a team, you know, maybe the Chiefs have already discussed a little trade with, with a team. 
And they're like, well, we haven't seen Remmers this year. So, you know, we're not very comfortable, you know, sending a, you know, a draft pick for him right now. And, you know, hey, maybe coincidentally, uh, you know, Niang has a little bit of a hamstring issue. And, and I'm not saying that was made up. I'm saying maybe it was just a little bit of a twang and, and they were like, you know what? It's okay. Let's let's rest you this week. Although that's why I do think it was weird that he still played. You know, you think if you're going to rest a guy, you just rest a guy, especially when you have the other linemen they have. They have plenty of, of uh, reserves right now. But, yeah, I, I think that is interesting. And then another part of that, too, is Bobby Strope on Twitter, you know, he was really touting up uh, Mike Remmers on Sunday. He kept tweeting about how excellent he was and everything, you know, and, and how good he was playing. Is that maybe him helping out that and say, and trying to, you know, get that narrative going even more that Remmers is playing well, that they can trade him? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. But um, yeah, I, I think I love the conspiracy theory talk there, you know, like, right? like all of these, uh, <laughs> these chess moves that we think that they're making. And really, probably the coaches are, would, if they heard this, they'd be cracking up, which I guarantee they don't hear this. But if they did hear this, they'd be laughing about us trying to overanalyze to them, which was probably just a, hey, let's just try something out and it's not a big deal. Uh, we'll, Niang may start again next week and we'll never, uh, we'll never think about this again. But we're, we're probably overanalyzing, but it's, it's an interesting theory and, and, you know, hat tip to, uh, Citadel Chief for, for that idea. Uh, but overall, you know, was the line any better this week than they have been in previous weeks? I mean, the the results would say that they weren't necessarily, that, you know, they rushed for 109 yards with 3.9 uh, was the average, and Mahomes drug that average way up with his his three runs for 31 yards. They also gave up three sacks this week, which is the most they've given up out of any game so far this year. Um, so it, to me, it's a pretty tough case to say that this – swap from Niang to to Remmers suddenly made the offensive line better even if Mahomes's trainer uh, believes that it did <laughs> yeah no I, I think I think I'm with you on your original thought is just that hey they're they're pretty even players and if one of them's banged up then just play the other one might as well let the, the you know Niang recover a little bit so I'm with that I just I did think it was interesting and, and the Ryder Kilgore thing had me kind of from last year kind of just made me think of it and and um you know this team's always kind of trying to you know find a way to be the best version of themselves right now and i think this is one way that they could have been looking for it but yeah i probably chalk it up to remmers just being healthy and niang not so by the way before we leave the offensive line how about joe tooney playing with a broken hand uh this guy's an iron man not missing any snaps and you saw him out there working uh, especially on the this particular goal line play that i was thinking of I saw Tooney coming across the formation. He found Noah Gray there trying to block and not getting, not making any headway. So he pushes Gray through him, through his guy, and, and got a hold of a, a couple of defenders on that one play. Uh, you know, you got to got to tip your cap to Joe Tooney the way he's he's battling through this injury. Yeah, Tooney's been awesome this year. I think at one point I was kind of saying maybe he wasn't the, hasn't been the most impressive player on the line. And, and it's starting to become the opposite where he might be the most impressive because of him playing through a broken hand. Yeah. I love Joe Tooney. You, you got to love that kind of toughness. Well, let's get to some more of the, the folks' questions here from Twitter, Ron. We got a bunch of questions about, you know, where this team is. And, and I'm just going to read through a bunch of them real quick, and then I'll give you a buy sell take on this one. So from Jake Tackleberry, are we allowed to feel optimistic from Zach Young is today a sign of things to come? Um, Mike's two start asked, was this a turning point or was this, this is the Washington football team. So pump the brakes. 
Uh, Kanye stressed, asked, uh, what was the turning point? Did the Chiefs finally say enough is enough? Or was Washington just playing bad? And then finally, Nate S. Um, on Twitter asked, are the second half Chiefs or what we're going to see going forward? Or is that just a result of playing the bad team? So uh, really, all of these get to this one question. Are you buying or selling the idea that the Chiefs have turned the corner on the season? I'm selling. I am selling that idea. Um, I, I don't think... I tweeted this right after the Bills game, but we could very easily be five and three in three weeks and, and still not and should not be any more confident than we were at, during the Bills game because these are some tough or, you know, uh, not as tough opponents, I should say. They're, they're playing, and that includes Washington. I think Washington's been very disappointing this year, and the ways the Chiefs beat Washington was the ways they've been bad this year. They've been bad against the pass, you know, on defense, and Mahomes tore them up a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I, and I want to see 60 minutes, man. I'm, I'm tired of, you know, I'm, I'm tired, you know, because against Buffalo, the defense played great in the second half. And, and you know, against, you know, other teams, you know, maybe, you know, like Baltimore, the offense was great in the first half, not the second half. I need to see a full 60 minutes before I, I want to say that they've turned a corner. I don't like just one half, uh, you know, banking off that. So I am selling this narrative. What, what are you, what side are you on? I'm buying it, you know, and, and maybe this is just me being the eternal optimist, but I do think that, You've seen the the trend from the defense going in the right direction. The defense was not bad in the first half of this game. Uh, they gave up two plays, really, in, in the entire game, uh, giving up 13 points, going a, a second-half shutout after a good second half of the Buffalo game on the defensive side of the ball. I feel like the defense has turned the corner, and the offense has been good all season. Whenever they don't turn the ball over, they score. Almost every single drive, if they don't turn the ball over – they're scoring touchdowns. So this team, all they have to do is stop the stupid mistakes uh, and, and stop turning the ball over. We thought that uh, – or we'd hoped that that would be behind them by this week. Uh, Mahomes made one really dumb play, uh, you know, passing, and then, and then Tyreek Hill had one catch that went through his hands once again. So the stupid mistakes were still there, um, but I think they're – in, they came out in the second half, played a much cleaner, sharper game. I, I think they are turning the corner. There'll be some fits and starts, but I think this is the this is the the team that we should expect them to be the rest of the season. Yeah, and I think you know the the things that that uh, point to a, a turnaround. I would say um, were some of those big plays that happened in the second half. It was a vintage Mahomes performance in the second half in terms of the big plays he made. You know, shoveling shoveling forward a pass to Kelsey as he scrambled to the left, jumping up in the pocket on a free play just so he can get the ball out. And then obviously Turk Wharton's INT is just a, you know, a sign that the ball's bouncing your way a little bit. So I, I, I see where you're going with that, but man, I, I, I want to see this happen against a contender and not Washington before I'm, I'm saying they're tearing the corner. Yeah, that, that's fair. I just think that there's been some mean regression that's happened here. You know, the, Last year, a lot of balls bounced their way. This year, a lot of those are, have, have gone, or all of them basically have gone the other direction uh, up until now. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought that's what I was thinking is that when, when you saw Mahomes on the shovel pass and then Turk Wharton's interception, to me those are two plays that you're like, okay, this is the Chiefs again. They're, they're starting to be opportunistic. They're starting to have some balls bounce their way. Mahomes is starting to be himself. Um, let's go. So – uh, the next narrative I want to touch on in the question from Big Hitta uh, on Twitter, yeah, it's good that they won and all, 
but we play Derrick Henry next week. So are you, you know, I think this is an obvious concern about the run defense. It's been a part of the narrative all season long. So are you buying or selling the run defense is still a problem? I'm selling that the run defense is still a problem because I think we've actually seen them mightily improve uh, since Baltimore. And I know they haven't been playing these rushing attacks really, but I think Washington has, has had a pretty good rushing attack. And I think the game script actually for Washington was actually going to the to the uh, point where they they were able to run and, and want to run, I should say, because a lot of these games in, in, for Washington this season, they've been down really quickly. So or they've been in shootouts, so they can't really run all the time. I think the Washington, the Chiefs game, they actually had a chance to run it effectively and they couldn't because I do think the Chiefs defensive line and linebackers have been good against the run. I, I, I think they have been especially Bolton. I think Bolton deserves a lot of credit for how he plays against the run. But specifically, I want to, as much as the defensive line has not been able to produce pass rush pressure, I do think the, you know, the guys in the middle in terms of Naughty and Jaron Reed, and I think even Chris Jones at DN when he was playing, obviously I know he wasn't against Washington. They are set up to run, to play well against the run, I think. And I, and I think Reed and Naughty specifically have, have really helped inside I think Jones on the inside sometimes he's just he's he's not a great run defender at that point. And I think teams have exploited that in the past, and I don't think they can as much this year because I think Reed and uh, Reed and Naughty are a lot better. Uh, you know, they're just more stout players. So yeah, I, I think I think the run defense has actually a, a, been a pretty good quality of this team right now. Well, I've been saying it all season long. They don't have a rush defense problem right now. They have a rushing quarterback problem. Taylor Heineke didn't didn't run the ball this game at all. Uh, which is a little bit surprising because he's a mobile guy. But in previous weeks, even against the Ravens, they held their running backs in check. Lamar just ran all over them. And a lot of that, I thought, has been the linebackers guessing wrong, jumping the wrong gap, uh, you know, getting getting washed uh, washed out by blockers, going the wrong direction. So it, I think that there's been some struggles on the linebacker level that have really made this uh, run defense look bad. Uh, but you're right, Nick Bolton's starting to come downhill and, and look good doing what he does best. We'll talk about this in just a minute, but you know, I think Willie Gay being back on the field, he's got the range to stop some of those things on the on the outside. Um, you know, it's really I think they still have a Ben Neiman and a Dan Sorensen problem, but but in overall, they held another team to under hundred yards rushing. Uh this is not a team that just gets run over. They've stopped Derrick Henry in the past. I don't know why. I'd be super worried about them uh, doing it again next week. Yeah, because I think the way the linebackers have excelled against the run is when it's in the box, when it's when it's you know tight and it's not these outside runs. That's where they struggle for sure, like you mentioned, and that's why quarterbacks have been able to scramble and do their design runs so well against them. But no, I I really do think that uh, you know inside the box where Derrick Henry is going to be running a lot, I think they've been a lot better this year. And so yeah, I'm I'm confident that they can limit Derrick Henry. You know, maybe not. Uh, you know, maybe not uh, completely shut him down, but limit him to a, a decent game. Well, let's take a break right there. Let's hear from our sponsors. We'll come back with more of your questions on the Auto Structure Podcast. We'll see which one of these takes that Ron is buying and selling right after this. So stick with us. And we're back. Thanks for staying with us on the Auto Structure Podcast, Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Uh, Matt Stagner here with Ron Cobb Jr. We're buying and selling all the different narratives that come out of your questions this week. And really, we wanted to get to the the one biggest piece of news that we heard before the game that all of us had been asking for and anticipating. Uh, it finally came to fruition this week. Uh, Travis, uh, GLDSTR, uh, on Twitter, 
Um, how do we like Juan Thornhill's performance? Was it a, more of a, a speed thing, a matching having a Thornhill on the field with Bolton and, and Willie Gay Jr.? Um, so are you buying or selling, Ron, this idea that Thornhill and the speed that he brings can change everything? All they had to do was bench Dan Sorrentino. Well, in terms of changes everything, I think I'm going to have to sell that because I don't think it was – I don't think it's making the difference between the worst defense in the league and, and all of a sudden they're going to be top 15 now just because of that one switch. I think a lot of other things need to happen for, for them to get to where they want to be. But I will say Thornhill played well against Washington, and I think one of the, the, the most notable ways he played well was how quickly he can get up, come up in the alley, and, and take away a run – maybe to the outside. I did see him in the box as well, making plays, but there was a, there was one instance in the second half, I believe uh, where that when I think Washington missed the field goal after he, 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 uh, he stuffed them, but Thornhill had three straight tackles on first, second and third down all to force a field goal attempt. And him just coming up really quickly, reading the defense, seeing the run coming downhill and making a great tackle. The last one was on third and two. I think uh, Sneed blitz and actually got a hand on the, the screen pass it was a it was a quick wide receiver screen to the right or to the left, excuse me, the defense is right. But Thornhill was there immediately and would have and and tackled the guy, but would have made a, a you know a clean tackle even if the ball got there you know cleanly instead of the the receiver kind of had to get low to get it. But either way, Thornhill played really well, and I and I do think he has that superior athleticism to Sorensen. And this defense just needs athletes. I mean, I'm sorry, like on, on the simplest terms, this de- this defense just needs to be more athletic. And I, and I do think Gay and Bolton kind of give them a little more than Hitchens and Neiman maybe. Um, but, but, and, and that's a little uh, more debatable because I do think Bolton has a similar athletic, athletic profile as Hitchens. But it, there's no doubt that Thornhill is more athletic than Sorensen, and he, and he showed it Sunday why uh, he needs to just continue to play there. I don't think they should look back now. Sorensen should be that third safety. Thornhill should be starting. Yeah, for, for that reason, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I'm buying this, this narrative that benching Dan Sorensen made it was the big change that they needed. Um, I do think that he's onto something here, Travis. And I actually, now that I read his Twitter handle, I think this is a Travis, a gold star. Um, Travis, ah. I don't know if he's a gold star uh, recipient or uh, a military uh, salute, if so. But uh, I think that the speed of Thornhill, along with the speed of Willie Gay, does make all the difference in the world. So um, I think that there's, there's some truth to the fact that you just had to get Sorensen off the field a little bit. Um, and to have one less guy that the def- the offense can just clearly target and pick on. Um, but I do think that the combination of Thornhill speed and Willie Gay's speed uh, will make a difference for this team going forward. So let's get to the running back room. We had a lot of questions about uh, Clyde versus, versus uh, Daryl Williams. There, uh, Jay Bird asked, Clyde being out of the picture might actually be a gain for the Chiefs. Uh, discuss amongst yourselves. So let's throw out this. Are you buying or selling the fact that Daryl is better than Clyde? Sell. Selling that very quickly. Um, I'm, I'm, I might sell that for free. I'm not even going to get any any money back for that, <laughs> for selling this one. Um, no, that, that's that's ridiculous, man. I, no, you know, I know Clyde hasn't been as impressive as we'd all like, but I still believe he's a better running back than Daryl. And, and in general, just losing your starting running back is never is never going to make you better than it did before. So sell, sell, sell. Yeah, people were pretty quick to turn on Clyde after two straight 100-yard rushing games, and then he goes out with an injury last week. 
And then you've got Daryl Williams coming in who performed admirably. He was running hard. He had a couple of big pickups, especially the fourth down and the two uh, short yardage touchdowns. That's great. That's his role. That's what he's good at. And he did that well. But if you look at these overall stat line, and he averaged three yards a carry, 21 carries, which is more than I think that Clyde has had all season long. He took those 21 carries and turned it into 62 yards. You know, that's not a uh, super impressive stat line. And I think what we saw over and over again were runs for Darrell Williams that just did not go anywhere. They were blown up in the backfield. So whether that's a blocking issue uh, or a Daryl issue, I, I don't know for sure. So I can't say that Daryl is necessarily worse than Clyde. He's a different player, and I certainly am not buying this notion that somehow uh, Daryl is better or the Chiefs are better without Clyde on the field. So uh, that's a, that's one we can dismiss pretty quickly. Yeah, but I, I do want to get your take on this. I think Jeff Englehart uh, at True Rock Chalk on Twitter uh, had a good, maybe a good point. Um, I, I want to see what you think about this. But, well, he he words this like, I knew the season was going to be snake bitten once we released Damian Williams, which, you know, I don't know if that, the release of Damian Williams is, is making the, the season bad or anything. But I do, I do kind of wish he would, he was stuck, he stuck around. You know, I do kind of wish the Chiefs kept him around. Because I think right now he would be really nice for them to have with Daryl as that in-the-box downhill runner, but then Damian as a guy they can trust to, to be a receiving back. And, 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 you know, obviously he can run too. I've always kind of had a problem with Damian Williams' vision, and so that might be something where I, I do trust Daryl maybe a little more inside the box and, and getting tough yards. But what do you think about uh, Damian Williams? You know, do you have any regrets on maybe the Chiefs should have kept him around this year? Because I kind of think they, they – I would have liked to see him on the field uh, for the Chiefs. Absolutely. I would have absolutely liked to have seen him stick around. He brings that explosive aspect that this running back room has been missing. We keep hoping that it's going to be Jarek McKinnon steps into that. Uh, I know he had the one first down where he fought through tackles, and that was admirable. But on the season, Jarek McKinnon has basically no production. He's not getting a lot of opportunities, but he's certainly not, uh, not out there making big plays for this team. I think Damian could have and and did when he was here. And I didn't see a really good reason why they had to get rid of him uh, just to bring in a guy like uh, McKinnon, uh, you know, or or just rely on Daryl more. They're obviously very different players, but Damian was a good back for this team. Uh, he's having some success there in Chicago, filling in, you know, in quite a big committee there. But you know, he's still averaging, you know, 4.3 yards of carries. He's got a couple of touchdowns already for the Bears. Um, I think that would have come in pretty handy when Clyde was hurt. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I really agree. I think Damian with his, because we haven't seen the running backs really be using the pass game a lot. And I think Damian, that was really where he excelled. I mean, we see, we see him on wheel routes. We see him, you know, on the, on these, on these more complex routes than they, it seems like they give to Clyde or Jarek McKinnon. So yeah, I, I would have liked to see Damian in Kansas city this year, but we'll move on. Yeah, let's let's talk about everybody else's favorite topic, which would be the linebackers. We mentioned this a little bit earlier. We saw Anthony Hitchens go down with an injury this week. We saw a little bit more of Willie Gay Jr., a little bit more of the, the rookie Nick Bolton. But like Jake Dubach asked, can you live with Ben Neiman being the starter for the next three weeks while Hitchens is hurt? Um, and, and there's a lot of questions here about the linebacker group. So are you buying or selling uh, the idea that the Chiefs can uh, can do without Anthony Hitchens? 
I, I'll buy it because I don't think Hitchens the, – the, the thing that Hitchens they're going to really miss from him if he does miss an extended period of time is setting up the defense. And, and <laughs> we've seen how big of a problem that's been this year sometimes with the miscommunication pre-snap. It's really screwed them at times. Um, but I, I really think Bolton presents a very similar style of play as Hitchens, and I think that's what they'll do. I think they'll keep – we saw it a little bit when Hitchens went out that in those nickel formations – which nickel is going to be what they're in the most in today's NFL. They're not going to be in those base three linebacker sets that much. In nickel, they'll have Bolton as the mic and Gay as the will or buck, what they like to call in their nickel formations, their buck linebacker. And so I, I, I like that combination. I'm cool with that combination. I think Bolton, you know, for what he lacks maybe and, and you know, the pre-snap stuff that Hitchens does really well at, I think he'll he'll match Hitchens in terms of being a great run defender. I think he might even be a better you know, because I think he is a little quicker to the ball, uh, quicker to get downhill, maybe more than Hitchens a little bit. I think they're very similar, though, like I said. So, yeah, I, I, I think I, I'll buy that they'll be fine without Hitchens for the next few weeks for sure. You know, Grant March, 88 on Twitter, asks, is, is the improvement coming from not having him there? And then Jennifer McCormick asked about the status of Hitchens' elbow. I saw that it was hyperextended. Uh, you got to think that he's, he's going to miss at least a little bit of time for that. I'm not sure that they're better – by not having him in there, but he also has not been that great this season. We had hoped that a lighter, faster, you know, uh, Anthony Hitchens was going to be more of a player for this team, more of a playmaker, better in coverage, uh, better closing, you know, on the sidelines. And I haven't seen a lot of that, frankly. And, and you mentioned the fact that his biggest role is getting everybody lined up. To me, that's a little bit of an indictment on him. The fact that they've had so much trouble lining up with him on the field if that's what he does and they're not doing well at that, then maybe a different combination uh, might be better. Although if that different combination includes a lot more Ben Neiman, I'm not sure that we're going to be happy with those results either. Yeah, no, we're going to have to live with it because Neiman is going to be that third linebacker in base formations. I, I don't think we're just going to see them pass over Neiman for Dorian O'Daniel, which you know I, I wouldn't mind to see it, but uh, it's it's hard to see that happening for sure. I, I'm still I'm still vouching for. For Dorian O'Daniel, the quarterback spy against any rushing quarterback, I think I think they should do more of that, but uh, that doesn't seem to be in the cards. Well, maybe the saddest outcome of yesterday's game, uh, onto a, a dimmer note here, after making that spectacular play early in the game, uh, Jody Fortson ends up going down with a non-contact injury that we all knew right away what it was. Uh, Achilles, which means he's out for the year, I uh, really, really hated seeing Jody Fortson uh, get injured uh, and and leave the game. And then uh, really, he we saw some promising stuff from him early in this season. So it's really, really disappointing to lose him for the season uh, right after he earned his roster spot and was turning into a touchdown scoring machine. Uh, so best wishes to Jody Fortson for a quick recovery there. Uh, Matrick Mahomes asked, it looked like Noah Gray was on the field a lot. Uh, what is he doing or <laughs> where are his targets? What's he being used as? And then SoCal asked how much will losing Jody Fordson hurt the team this year? I, I'm ready to say it, it's it's a pretty big loss, honestly, because it seemed like Jody had solidified himself as the second best receiving threat out of the tight end group. At least the Chiefs, at least the st- coaching staff thinks of him like that because he was sure, you know, playing the snaps like that and getting enough targets to be the second best receiving threat in the tight end room. And man, I tweeted it right when it happened, but 
the catch that he had to get them down to the one yard line. I mean, that's exactly what we all dreamed of when he first showed up to training camp as this big receiver. Like, oh, he's a red zone threat. He's a guy that can go get a jump ball. We don't really have one of those. And man, it, it's just it's sad how that, you know, that the first time we really saw that happen where, you know, Mahomes just trusted him to go get a ball over a guy, a Landon Collins, who has not been the best since he's left New York, but that's still a pretty good safety. That's still impressive, you know, impressive player to catch over like that. I, I really, I really thought Jody Fortson was, was coming on and, and going to be a huge part of this, this team. So it, it is, I think it's a big loss. I think it's going to force Noah Gray to step up. I think he can. And I think with more opportunity, he will. But it's nice to have that kind of deep tight end room that they've had because they've been using a lot of 13 personnel and, and, and multi tight end sets and, and losing Fortson just kind of uh, takes away a playmaker from those sets. So that, it's just sad, man. I'm sad for him. Yeah, it's really disappointing. You know, we, we thought in the preseason, remember we were all debating whether or not to buy the Jody Fortson hype. Uh, I think he's, I think he was on pace to, to live up to the hype or at least, you know, live up to a reasonable amount of hype. But there was also a lot of hype around Noah Gray. We thought, you know, this guy could be a hybrid weapon. This is somebody they can get on the field and use him in all kinds of different sets and be really creative with him. We haven't seen that at all yet. He's been, you know, to, to the point of this question from Matthew Holmes is he's been pretty invisible. There hasn't been a lot uh, to like or dislike about Noah Gray so far. He just really hasn't gotten any looks. Um, I see him out there working hard as a blocker, but the production hasn't been there. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they have in him yet. I, I'd like to see the production. Yeah. And, and I do think he, he has been visible. I'm not going to uh, defend that, but I do think, we'd think a lot better about him if he would have just freaking secured a really uh, – honestly, he he should have caught it. It was a touchdown against Philly. Mahomes scrambled out. Noah Gray actually does a really good job of getting himself open, creating separation on the sideline in the end zone, and Mahomes put it right where it needed to be, and Gray just dropped it. And, yes, that's an indictment on him. He's got to catch that, and that speaks to him being disappointing maybe so far this season. But if he does catch that, I, I, all of a sudden, I think we're we're kind of you know feeling a little better about Gray moving forward and, and stepping into a bigger role now that Fortson's. You bet. Well, we got a, several questions about Chris Jones, um, who didn't play this week, but has been a big story of the season all year long. Craig Denny asks, "What's the wrist injury to Jones? How bad is it? When's he coming back? And when he does, please tell us it'll be at defensive tackle." Don Julio asked, "Can we shop Chris Jones this offseason? His value and production are just going down every year." We can't. I can't wait to have an older, slower, more expensive Chris Jones on a bad defense. Love the optimism there from from the Don. But uh, are you buying or selling this narrative that Chris Jones needs to move back inside full time immediately when he's healthy? Yeah, I'm selling it. I I, I think we've both been kind of strong on our standpoint that he he still needs to get more time. It's still early in the season, and he hasn't even played the last two. So. He's, he's, and that's not helping him get better at defensive end, missing time. But I still think by the time when it really matters in the playoffs and stuff, I I, I really think this is going to be a move that we're going to look back on it and it's going to pay off. I think what we've seen so far this year is that the Chiefs have been limited on how they use their defensive linemen because of the injuries. I think Clark's injuries really screwed up their game plans because I think when Clark is in the game, they can move Jones inside more. And I think that's ideal. I think on early downs, on those rundowns, Get Jones on the outside because then, like I mentioned before, Reed and Naughty, I think, have been really good on the interior against the run. And so keep them inside and have Jones on the outside for those rundowns. As soon as it gets to a third down or a second and 15, a pass rushing situation, that's when Jones needs to be on the inside. And then you have Clark and Dana, who 
Dana has been impressive this year enough to to get starting reps, in my opinion. So that's where, you know, maybe people are saying, hey, just have Dana on the outside all times. And then you have Jones on the inside. I say still the best lineup for them is Jones on the outside with Clark or Dana. I think they, them they're more interchangeable, Clark or Dana, than Jones and Dana. Um, Jones on the outside and then on pass rushing downs, you get Dana in the game with Clark and Jones on the inside. I think that's the most ideal situation. It's just injuries this year have really not allowed them to to do it that way. Yeah, I was saying earlier, I'm not sure that I've seen – we haven't seen very much of the th- the trio of Chris Jones, Frank Clark, and Jaron Reed on the field this season like we expected. We had high hopes for that combination because we've seen it work before. And I think Jones is a guy who is a weapon wherever they line him up. Ideally, I think he's 60-40, right? He's 60% on the outside, 40% on the inside, somewhere around there. Uh, to me, would be awesome. That keeps it un- keeps them a little bit unpredictable. Uh, it, it lets you exploit some matchups. And you're right; it really is a, a you know base defense sub package you know uh, split issue. But this narrative that he's completely failed at defensive end, and they just need to scrap this whole experiment. I'm doing air quotes here, being sarcastic, uh, scrapping this whole Chris Jones experiment. I think that narrative needs to go die. Um, I'm selling that 100. percent um, give the guy a chance to get healthy, get back on the field. We don't know a lot of detail about this wrist injury, but clearly it's affecting his ability in the hand fighting part of the game, uh, which is so crucial to what he does. And I, I'm not going to write off his move to defensive end until he's had a substantial sample size at defensive end. Yeah. And real quick, before we move on from the Jones point, I, I do want to say uh, for Don Julio's question on the long-term stuff, I think moving him to defensive end is actually going to help him sustain uh, a career in terms of like being a, an impact player for longer. Cause I think eventually at D tackle, he's going to lose that explosiveness if he is a little older. And I think then at D tackle, he's just this tall guy that gets blown out of the way a lot. Cause he loses the leverage game. I think playing him at defensive end now is actually going to help him be a more impactful player later in his career, in my opinion. Fair enough. Well, let's let's jump ahead here to some questions about the, the greatest player on the planet and Patrick Mahomes. Um, Matthew Johnson asked, what's up with those two interceptions from Mahomes? Uh, were they tipped or dropped or, or the Mahomes' fault? Uh, this has been a narrative that's been building within the media, within fans, you know, na- nationally and locally that Mahomes is – pressing that Mahomes is trying to play hero ball that he's throwing interceptions because he doesn't trust the rest of the team he doesn't trust the defense um are you buying or selling this narrative that Mahomes has an interception problem I'm selling it all the way I I I, I it's not a complete you know it's not like a hundred percent in a unanimous sell for me because man some of these interceptions have been him just not understanding the game situation I think the Washington interception he needs to understand. He really does need to just get in his head that when that when that fumble snap happens on a third and short in field goal, you know, an in field goal position right before halftime, you're down by three. You just need to eat it, man. Let Bucker kick that field goal, man. I think that needs to that needs to like it does kind of scare me that, that those alarms just don't go off in his head like naturally as a guy that's played quarterback for his entire life. I just think in those situations you got to understand to just you know, take the points, you know, don't try to be a hero in this moment. And I know Mahomes is lo- has succeeded off being a hero in every moment, but it just, I, I do want to see him be a little better in situations like that. But the, he's always kind of had those, these, these same aggressive, aggressive interceptions, maybe in, you know, in his career, 
It's just now that the, the, the number, the total number is piling up because of interceptions that aren't his fault. And I, I think that narrative, that part of the narrative is just bad and, and not good. That's right. I think it's lazy analysis if you just look at the interception total and the fact that he's had one in however many straight games and he's averaging almost an interception per game over a, a really um, specifically picked out sample size over the last uh, season and a half. Um, yeah, if you look at the, the passes that have gone off a receiver's hands, and, and fallen right into the hands of a defender. You know, there's been two on Tyreek, one on Marcus Kemp. Uh, there was the one deflection interception last week that was uh, Lucas Niang not cutting his guy that, that got up and, and tipped him to himself. So let's say he's got how many interceptions this season? Seven? Eight now. He's got eight interceptions this season. Uh, you've got four of those now that I would say are not his fault and, and four that, that were his fault. So – you're right. There's been some situational awareness issues here and there. That's probably the most disturbing part to me in the sort of losing streak that the Chiefs were on is not that Mahomes was throwing interceptions, is that he was throwing interceptions in critical situations with a chance to win the game. That part bothers me a lot, and that worries me a lot. Um, him throwing a, a random interception, you know, like this week when he had the one where he, he should have taken the sack and let him kick the field goal. That's bad situational awareness. That's him trying to make a ridiculous play, frankly, that he had no business even attempting, given the fact that you pointed this out. That was a running play. They didn't have receivers out running routes. Uh, That was a run all the way, and nobody was expecting him to make that play. I'm not sure why he even tried there. That's just a boneheaded play. But when he has failed to win the game or, or bring the team back at the end of games, that's something that's really uncharacteristic, and that's something that we've come to expect uh, from Mahomes when he's playing his best, when he's being himself. Uh, you know you get the ball back. You're within a touchdown. Two minutes left, doesn't matter the situation. Mahomes is going to go down and score. And those interceptions in those situations have been absolute, just just devastating uh, turnovers. The rest of the stuff you know, is, is bad luck in, in, at, at the worst and, and uh, you know, bad decision-making at the best. I'm, I'm not worried about either any of that stuff as long as he can come up and, and when it matters. And this week you saw him put the dagger in and, and finish the game with a touchdown as opposed to any turnovers there late. Um, that's more of what we come to expect, and that's more what I hope we see going forward. Yeah, and 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 the other thing too is with these heaves that he's had these these bad heaves that we're talking about here. All of them have been in in, in pretty bad situations. I you know they, they have not. It's not like he's just been throwing it up. You know, thirty yards downfield on a third and twenty. You know, hey, it's as good as a punt, right? Which you know that's that's fair if that's what's happening, but it's not. You know, all all three of those interceptions that he's had on third down, avoiding pressure, they've given the team great field position. And in the second half, not the you know not the Washington one, it was the at, at the end of the first half, but the one against the Eagles gave the Eagles great field position right at the beginning of the second half when they could have got momentum back. And then the Ravens game, the, the Chiefs are up eleven, and and you know need need that play to happen, need need a need to either convert or get the you know get a punt and get them backed up. And instead, the Ravens got feel, good field position when they really needed it. So I think I think it's been it's been bad on, on those plays, but it's just overanalyzed now because now there's eight of them where half of them aren't even his fault you bet and some of those have been in the red zone as well and and you know just like this the one this week uh you know you don't turn it over you can kick a field goal uh that's a lot better outcome that's than an arm punt on on third and long right so 
Uh, before we get out of here, let's talk a little bit about Josh Gordon. It's really everybody's favorite topic. I know we spend a lot, a lot of time talking about it. Uh, Ron, I'll let you run through. we got a bunch of questions here about Josh Gordon. Yeah, shout out Jordan Baker, being random at Ignit Maniacs, M Newport 57 on Twitter, Stefan, Craig Denny. we got a bunch of questions on Josh Gordon, so we appreciate you guys asking them. But here's the deal. Uh, you know, and Steve Williams, shout out to Steve Williams. I missed him. But here's the deal. You know, it's still a second game here. He actually did end up playing more snaps than he did against Buffalo, two more. He was nine against Buffalo and 11 against against Washington. You know, it's it's just it's it's he's never going to be a guy, in my opinion, that's going to be getting 10 targets in a game. And maybe there is a game that we see that happen. But especially at the beginning, he's either going to get a, a catch or two or he's just probably not going to be much of a, 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 you know, a product of the offense because. As we've said over and over, man, it's really important that the guys know the offense, and I can't imagine he's, he knows it very well still. And so in these games where, especially because the offense was struggling so bad in the first half, you know, if they get out to a big lead, maybe we do see more Gordon. But I think with the offense struggling in the first half, they kind of, you know, got with their guys that they know know the offense and kind of, you know, Robinson. And like we said, they all had good games. I think Robinson, Pringle, and Hardman all had good games. So I think we'll see more Gordon going forward. I just think it was one of those things, the second game of the second game of his Chiefs career, and they kind of just needed their guys that, that knew the offense to be in there and make the plays for him. Yeah, you saw a little bit of that last week, um, that Gordon maybe didn't run exactly the right routes. Um, even the catch he had could have been intended for, for Jarek McKinnon. Uh, upon further review so I think he wasn't sure of where he was supposed to be last week reports all pointed to him having a bigger role this week and getting more snaps and getting more involved Andy Reid even said that he had hoped that he would be more involved uh, last week uh, and that they would try to get him in more going forward because they do have big plans for him but you're right it was an odd situation this week that all of the other secondary receivers that have been so bad at many times in, in this season and last season showed up to play. And so if Gordon was on the field, we didn't see much of him, but other guys were making plays. So, you know, if that's the, uh, if that's the worst we see, uh, if, if Josh Gordon is here, but he's not making plays because somebody else is, I'm okay with that. Uh, I would sure like to see him step up in some of those games where that's not happening. Cause we know, that we're not going to get good games from McCole Hardman and Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle every week. Uh, so next week, you'd hope that if the team needs him, that Gordon will be there. And they can gradually start ramping him up as the season goes on because I, I think he's going to be a weapon, and I think he's somebody they can use. Um, he's probably the only other guy on the roster that you can see making the catch that Jody Fordson made this week. Uh, so so there may be some targets there for him uh, going forward, and and I hope that we see a lot a lot more good stuff uh, coming up. Yeah, I think it, I think this is going to sound a little silly off off the top, but um, I, I think uh, against the defense, the secondary has really struggled in, against in Washington. I think Tennessee has that same issue. I think one thing is that like maybe the secondary receivers the Chiefs already have the the guys that we know, you know, they can take advantage of bad cornerback play. And we can trust them to do that. But once we start playing really good secondaries again, like Buffaloes, that's when we're kind of want to want Gordon because I think Gordon's just going to be a better, you know, a guy that can win against good, good cornerbacks maybe more than D. Rob or McColl or Byron can. So as, as silly as that sounds, it's almost like the secondary receivers will be. They, we don't need Gordon against bad secondaries, but when we start playing better talented secondaries, that's when maybe when Gordon will will really be needed uh, to win on one on one matchup. Just like anything else, it might be matchup related. It might be game plan related. You know, he he might not yet be you know a true number two receiver or somebody that they're going to have 
you know, double digit targets for every single week because you've got Travis Kelsey, you've got Tyreek Hill. Um, there's not that many targets to go around in the average week. So it really could be a matchup issue. And I hope that they find ways to get him matched up uh, on uh, on defenders coming up in the next couple of weeks because you'd like to have them all there. You'd like to have this team at full strength heading into the stretch run. And then we can look back and say the Chiefs started off rough, but now they're the team that we expected them to be, and now they're on track. And, hey, maybe some of those other teams peaked too early, and the Chiefs were, were uh, uh, took you know ran into some buzz saws early, and they peaked at the right time. So let's hope that that's the case and that we're back here next week celebrating another Victory Monday, uh, talking about this Chiefs team getting back above 500 and hopefully permanently so going forward. Thank you for being with us on the Out of Structure podcast. Please rate and review wherever you do that. Check out all of the great podcasts that we have on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Uh, thanks for spending your time with us today. Ron Cock Jr., Matt Stagner, uh, we will talk to you next week. <laughs>